Hi, and welcome to the Church Unlimited podcast. Church Unlimited is a vibrant, Bible-based church in North Lakes, Queensland, that is passionate about helping people discover the genuine love of Jesus. If you're currently looking for a home church, we would love for you to join us for Sunday worship. For more information about our Sunday service, or to find out how we can best help you, head to our website at churchunlimited.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message from Sunday service. Today, uh, I want to continue our Better Together series by talking about marriage. And before I get into this, I want to take a minute and just honor and celebrate one of our great leaders, Georgie Snow, who just got engaged to Tyler Wright. Georgie and Tyler. Here he is over here. And uh, Tyler's wearing his, his, his shirt of many colors. He's favored of his father. And, uh, and so evidently on Australia Day, I saw some photos. It looked quite romantic, Tyler, I must say. And I, and I, I, I understand that, that you got down on one knee and she thought it was a joke. That's terrible, mate. <laughs> you got all the trouble and you think it's... And she's telling you to stop. It's not funny. And that's... Mate, you need to get, get this guy out for a coffee. Hear that story. That's a, that's a good one. Um, but congratulations, mate. Hey, to, just to say we love you and we believe in you. We want to send you on a date and uh, to celebrate your... your so so uh, just get the details with, with Chase. But we're we just so excited, mate. And uh, I want to honor you because I know you guys have been talking about this for a fair while, but there was, there was some cautions. And, and, and it wasn't a red light, but you got a yellow light. And you chose to abide by a yellow light. And I know too many people that are hasty and they just, even though they get red, they think it's green and they're just going, going, going. And I want to honor you, mate, because you abided by a yellow light for a little bit longer than maybe you even wanted to. And I, I think that's so commendable and so honorable. And the fruit of that will be in 50 years when you're married and, and you're still going for God. And, uh, and I'm just grateful that we've got youth leaders like that that are role modeling God's way of doing relationships to our young people. Come on, would you put your hands together and, and, and honor Tyler and Georgie? And... Come on. So we live in an unusual country when it comes to marriage. And I don't even think Australia knows what marriage is, to be honest with you, because, you know, it's, it's, it's a kind of a celebration moment. We sign some papers and all right, we're married, and then we don't want to do it anymore, so we sign some more papers, and we're all of a sudden unmarried. And, you know, it's like, what is marriage? And, and if I was to be perfectly honest with you, if I wasn't a Christian, I'm not even sure I would do the whole marriage thing. It's so expensive, and it's, it's like a whole bunch of fanfare, and, you know, we're not even sure if we're going to make it work. So, you know, why do we do all the trouble of getting married? Let's just live de facto. We get the tax benefits anyway. And I, I actually kind of understand that logic. And, and just so you know, when I think about people doing things or changing laws that are, that are contrary to my Christian values, I'm not too bothered by it. Because how can I, as a Christian, expect a person who does not call Jesus their Lord and Savior to submit to his ways of doing things? I think that's a bit rich. I didn't start submitting to Jesus' ways of doing things until I surrendered my life to Him and made Him Lord of my life. 
Now, I'm not advocating for changing laws and, and, and you know, letting this thing get so colorful, but I, I'm just not shocked when unchurched people make unchurched decisions. I'm not shocked by that. I am shocked when Christians make unchurched, unchristian type decisions. That shocks me because I'm like, well, actually, we've got a manual. But when you open up when you open up scriptures, you see that it was actually God's idea for marriage. It wasn't our own boredom. It wasn't our own loneliness. It wasn't because we were so sexually charged, we just needed to. It wasn't even because God knew, um, you know, God knew we needed help. He knew that we were insufficient on our own. We were actually, He designed us for marriage. And we see this outlined in Scripture in Genesis 2.18. It says, Then God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Now, I'm not going to go too far down this road, but when it says comparable, it doesn't mean lesser. It means equal. When God designed man and initially, before sin, before the fall, before any corruption, he designed man and woman comparable, equal, to be united together. And he said it wasn't good that he was alone. Now, Adam had the fullness of the presence of God surrounding him in the Garden of Eden. Like, I mean, you know, you, you, he, was, he was just in constant conversations with God all the time. He had the presence of God and God in his own wisdom says, hey... It's not good that he's alone. This is why I always struggle a little bit when, when people say to me, oh, I don't need a boyfriend right now. I'm just dating Jesus. No, no. God shows us here he doesn't want to date you. Not even God wants to date you. No. Uh, no, God fulfills an area of my life, but we were designed by God before the fall, before sin has come in and changed things, before offenses built fences, we were designed by God to need a spouse. We must understand that, that, that we are actually, um, uh, our desire for that is a God desire. It's not in its purest form. It's not lust. It's not Oh, I'm lonely. It's not, oh, I don't want God. No, you can want God and want to be married at the same time because God is the one who gave us that. Scripture then tells us that we were designed by God to unify one flesh with this spouse. And Jesus commends that in Matthew 19, 4. He says, and Jesus answered to them, have you not read? He who made them in the beginning, male and female. In the beginning, before sin came in and corrupted everything, it was male and female. So just know that anything that is not male and female is the fruit of the sin that has come into the earth. For he said, this man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Amen. No man 
has the right to separate the things of God. Now, we know that through the fall and through the introduction of sin, mankind has seen that change. Our desires are not always God's desires because whilst I was made in His original likeness, I have been corrupted and defiled by sin and my sin has changed my desires to not necessarily always line up with His desires. Our desires lie to us and tell us all kinds of lies. Here's some possible lies. That you could be attracted to someone who is not your spouse. That is a deception. Husbands, one of the most confronting moments of my life was in probably my third year of being married. When you're in your first two years, it's like Paula is everything. But in my third year of being married, it dawned on me that there were other attractive women in the world. For two whole years, I didn't know that there were other attractive women in the world. I I, I thought it was only Paula. But in my third year, oh my goodness, there are other attractive women in the world. And that is a temptation that comes from the enemy to get your eyes off of the one that God has given you and put your eyes on, on another one. Beyond this, your desires can tell you that you can be attracted to more than one person at a time. I know that because in third grade, I think I had 15 girlfriends all at one time. (laughs) Valentine's Day was so expensive for me in those days. (laughs) Further, your desires, your desires can even tell you that you are attracted to someone of the same gender as you. I'm not denying that that is a reality for some people. But this is what we have to understand is that the the Bible is my manual for how I do life. The Bible is my manual for how I steward my desires because the fallen James Hensley might be attracted to this, that, and the other. But the redeemed James Hensley needs to come back to the original design of who God created me to be in the first place. Scripture tells us explicitly from the beginning that we were designed by God, one man and one woman. Which means that marriage, the idea, the concept, the institution of marriage actually belongs to God. This is why I can boldly say that if I was not a Christian or a God-fearing person, I probably wouldn't get married because I would probably just continue to do things my own way according to my own desires and my own wisdom. But I'm telling you, that is a road to destruction. So in my life, I have had to submit my life under God, which means I do things God's way. It means I don't do de facto. It means I don't just sleep around with whoever I want to. It doesn't mean that I don't chase my desires. It means I steward my desires under God. So this is what it means. Scripture says, One man would leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. That's one in flesh. I'll let you figure out how that happens. One in spirit. One in raising children. One in dreams. One in financial. We 
understand in our society, and even the Israelites had the problem of divorce. Divorce has always been an issue as it pertains to marriage. The problem that I have with divorce is that we were not designed for divorce. Divorce is a result of the fall. God says, whom I've put together, let no man separate. Now, if there's separation that takes place, we must understand that that is a result of the fall or sin. That is not God's highest intention. Now, we all know that, that following God's highest intention is our ideal, but gee, it can be a challenge in reality. But let me explain to you why God said that divorce is not of him. If you take one man and one woman and you put them together, they become one flesh. Cut it in half or divorce it. You don't go back to being one man and one woman again. You go back to being half of who you used to be. Because one divided by two is half. And this is why second marriages really struggle. Because one half plus one half equals, you know, you know it becomes one half. Because in God's economy, you know, you're adding, you know, it's only one. And you cut that in half again and you become a quarter of who you used to be. And, and this, is, this is so important that we understand God didn't design us to unite and break up and unite and break up and unite and break up. Nor did he design us to sleep together and not sleep together and, 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 and all that kind of um, uh, logic. Can I, can I justify here for just a second that, that sometimes divorce is good? In fact, sometimes Scripture tells us three instances where divorce is validated in Scripture. The first area is in the area of sexual immorality or adultery. In Matthew 19, 9, he says, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Whoever marries her who is divorced also commits adultery. Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality. That's the breaking of the marriage covenant through sexual immorality. This includes adultery. This includes rape. This includes perversion. And this also includes pornography because Jesus says... If you think lustfully in your heart, it's as though you've already done it. So, so, so Scripture validates divorce through the breaking covenant of sexual immorality. It also validates it on the grounds of abandonment. In 1 Corinthians 7, Scripture talks about the unbelieving spouse. If the unbelieving spouse departs, you are free. You are not liable or held responsible for that. Okay? And the third area is in the area of abuse, which is physical, sexual, emotional, even spiritual. This is the commandment that God gives to man. In Ephesians 5.28, he says, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished it and cherished it as the Lord does the church. What is that saying? That I am supposed to treat my spouse the same way that I treat myself. Emotionally, sexually, down the road. I, I always struggle when I hear of, of men who earn the money and they give their wives a weekly allowance. That, that makes me so mad. If that's you and you're here today, do not ever tell me that. Keep that to yourself and live in a secret because I will rip you. You do not own your wife and give her a little allowance. She is your partner and you work together. And everything that you have, if she leaves you, the government will see to it that she gets half. So you better treat her right now. I am aware that there are some reasons for divorce. You know what else I'm aware of? Is the redeeming grace of Jesus. That even whilst I was a sinner, he died for me. So can I tell you this? Maybe you're here today and you've committed adultery. Maybe you're here today and you've divorced. Maybe you're here today and you have same-sex tendencies. Maybe you have sinned and fallen short of God's standards. I'm in that boat too. I am in that boat too. And we are all saved by the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. Not one of us is righteous. Not one. But it's so important to understand how God thinks about marriage. So in our household, we have eliminated the word divorce. It's not a threat. It's not something you say in the heat of battle. It's just not, we don't go there in our house. And, and let me just say some things like, things like we're not compatible anymore. Can I tell you, there are two people, there are, there are no two people on the earth that are more incompatible than me and Paula. If you've ever met her, if you've ever met me, we come home from every dinner party, we have inconvenient conversations every day. <laughs> Things like, I don't feel like I'm in love with you anymore. Too bad. <laughs> Too bad. I don't feel it. Great. Now it's time to faith it. Yeah, Scripture says don't live by your sensuality. Live by your feelings. Man, oh man, our feelings betray us. Oh, but I just feel that. I just feel like I need to... Oh my gosh, you want to ruin your life? You want to destroy your life? Just go on and chase every desire in your heart. Remember that old bumper sticker that said, if it feels good, do it? I want to ram my car right up. <laughs> Why did you do that? Oh, I just felt it. <laughs> Why'd you punch me in the mouth? I just felt... No! Steward your desires. I'm in love with someone else. You better get out of love with somebody else. You better do things God's way or you're going to destroy your life. But James, you don't know my story. Can I tell you, I just read an article the other day that of divorce... They say that 75% of divorce court transcripts, let me break that down. 
When you go to divorce court, you have to stand before a judge and talk about things. 75% of the transcripts for divorce law include the word social media, Facebook, Instagram. Now you might go, why does, it in, why does divorce include that? Because I was, on, I was on Facebook and my old girlfriend reached out to me and, and, and then we started talking and, and one thing led to another. And Can I tell you, I am not friends with any of my old girlfriends. I am just not. Some people, and, and, and have, you ever, have you ever seen a Facebook profile that's something like James and Paula Hensley? And you're like, which one is it? Who am I talking to? Who's on that account? Some people need to have a joint Facebook account. I think that's a wonderful thing. Oh, James, you don't know. We don't have the feelings anymore. You better find the feelings. Can I tell you, my grass is pretty brown at the moment. It's hurting me. It is going to continue to get worse and die if I don't water it. The same is true with your dying marriage. You don't feel it? Put some water on it. Paula and I went and had two nights at the Brisbane Sky Tower in the city. It was awesome. I don't know if you get the Facebook things that come up, luxury escapes. We have 300 bucks. We stayed on the 60-something floor and we went... That was how we set our marriage up for this year. Some people are like, oh, we can't leave the kids. I could never leave the kids. Can I tell you that before the kids, you had your spouse? And if you allow the kids to come between you and your spouse, they can act like a wedge that will pull you apart. You're right. I don't know your story. But I do know the Word of God. And I know that God asks me to do hard things. Can I tell you right now, there ain't nothing easy about being a Christian. Nothing. He asked me to surrender my pride all the time. He asked me to repent when I fail. He asked me to abstain from sin and my, my fleshly desires. He asked me to give my money 10% every week. He asked me to forgive. And so last week when Robbie was talking about forgiving... That's such an important part of our lives. And I'll be the first to say that marriage is hard. I, I, I understand. Can, can I tell you this? I'm in two minds because part of I've, I believe everything I've just said. And then I also believe that marriage is hard. And I understand why people divorce. I really do. I, 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 I totally get it. And yet, I just know for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And to the best of our abilities and by His grace, we will do things His way. So if marriage is from God, then we need to do marriage God's way. And I want to drop on you a couple of things, some ingredients to do a better marriage. Okay? And if you're not married, please don't turn off. Because this is what I would say to you. If you're not married, God has probably got you in preparation season. And, and he needs to build the man and build the woman before you can be united to somebody else. But the first point here is self-love. Not selfish. Self-love. Follow this line of thinking. In Mark 12, Jesus gives us this. The great commandment. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, that you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, we would all be aware that for me to really love God, well, I didn't love God. He first loved me. And because He first loved me, I'm able to, in turn, love Him. Apply that same logic to the second commandment. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. I actually think one of the most um, destructive things that we have going in marriages is that we actually love our wives the same way that we love ourselves. We don't actually love ourselves. We love ourselves with selfish love. I got to get that. I got to buy that TV so I feel good. I got to have, I got to have, I got to have, I got to get that job so I get promoted, so I feel validated. I got to have that woman so I feel promoted and validated. I got to, I got to, and we love our spouse the same way that we love ourselves instead of allowing my identity to be formed in God. I think a lot of people are hasty in getting married because God has not built the man or built the woman ready. This is why I validated and, and commended Tyler because I think Tyler and Georgie have done a good job of allowing God to... And by the way, you're never really ready. 42, married for 20 years and still not ready. But we've got to be... We, we love each other the same way we love ourselves. If I am insecure, then I'm going to seek my validation and security in my spouse. But if I am grounded in God and I know who I am and I've got a good identity in God and I am secure in God, then I can love myself more healthily and I can love you more healthily. This is why it's so important that I keep growing as a man because if I'm going to be a better husband, I need, a better, I need to be a better son of God and know who I am in God and allow Him to work me over. The greatest thing you can do to prepare for marriage is to know the love of God over your own life, which leads you to getting over yourself. When you, when you know the love of God, what does it say? I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live. When I know the love of God, I can crucify myself. He must increase and I must decrease. Imagine if I started loving Paula that way. She must increase and I must decrease. It's not about me. So true, healthy identity in God means that I can love you freely. And I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm trying to give something to you. When you know that, that God is your all-sufficiency and you are grounded and secure and okay in who Father has made you to be, I don't need anything from you. I can now freely give to you. Imagine if we could love our neighbor or our spouse to that level. The second one, the second biggest ingredient, I think, is repentance and forgiveness. You've probably heard me say that nobody has offended me more in the last 20 years than Paula. She is the most offensive person I know. I find her more offensive than Eminem. I find her more, way more offensive than Marilyn Manson. Paula has offended me way more than Donald Trump. 
Paula is offensive. Because I don't know Donald Trump or Eminem or Marilyn Manson or anybody. I don't know your boss at work, but I know her. She offends me when she leaves her GHD hair straightener out. She offends me with her coffee cups everywhere. She offends me when she uses the last roll of toilet paper and doesn't put a new one in. I'm so offended. The reality is we have more moments of failure with our spouse than with anybody else. You will fail them and they will fail you more than anybody else in your life. You think you have daddy issues? No, you have spouse issues. And yet we choose to forgive. Jesus says, freely I have forgiven you, now freely forgive. Notice the word choose. I choose to forgive. I don't, I don't always want to. And, and it's, it's, it really annoys me when Paula humbles herself and comes gently and repentant because I want to be mad. And I'm like, I don't want to forgive you, but I have to forgive you. In the beginning, it's easy to forgive. It's almost cute. No, it's all right. I'll get that roll of toilet paper. <laughs> oh, yeah, Dan. Yeah, I know. In our marriage, we've got big problems. You know, my, my wife leaves coffee cups around. <laughs> Dan, you won't believe it. 20 years of cleaning up coffee cup after coffee cup after coffee cup. After, tw after 20 years, it's, you know, she's been committing the same crimes. <laughs> the same crimes for 20 years. And then you start to realize, she ain't going to change. <laughs> I think I had faith for that when I was young. In our first five years, I prayed, Lord, Lord, just help her. Just help her get her coffee cup from here to there. I don't even have faith for that anymore. I'm convinced you're always going to be like this. And then what do we do? We go and say things like, you're just like your father. It's generational. You're going to be like that forever. Forgiveness is essential. You cannot cannot have a thriving marriage if you cannot forgive and let each other go. Stop keeping a record of wrongs. When I blow it, I need to humble myself and repent. And when you blow it, I need to humble myself and forgive. <laughs> when you blow it, I need to humble myself and repent too because I'm sure I played a part. <laughs> Number three, communication. Now, I will say that communication is vital to making any relationship work. It doesn't matter if it's two married people, friends, work colleagues, parents with their children, or even the traffic cop. Your ability to communicate effectively will make you or break you. <laughs> it's important that we as, as spouses learn how to communicate with each other well to communicate ideas, communicate our feelings, 
One of the things that we learned early in our, our marriage is uh, we say statements like this. Look, when you do that, I feel like this. Um, that statement is a bit more helpful than, well, you're always... Um, one is less accusational and one is far more, hey, look, when you do this, uh, this is how I receive that. This is how I'm hearing that. And we know that with communication, there's always the sending message and the receiving message. And this is something that husbands and wives really need to practice and get better at. I've learned in my life when Paula says that she'll be ready in five minutes. <laughs> it's about the same length of time that it the five minutes it takes me to get home from work after work. Most of us are lazy communicators and we fail to correctly and proactively articulate ourselves. Men are quite barbaric. It's like, me man. Me need food. Me need sexy time. Women, on the other hand, they're like, oh, I just feel like, you know, and I just, and then this story's going to weave into that story, and we're over here talking about this dog you saw on the side of the road, and we're just talking over here about how you, you know, in second grade, something, you know, and I'm like, whoa, where did we go? I, this is like the never-ending story, like, that movie made no sense. What, what do you mean Falcor flew in? And I don't understand. I don't understand what's being said here. Do you speak it in English? <laughs> Can I tell you, far often we go into a conversation with what we want or how we feel, and we literally go into conversations, takers, validate what I think, validate what I feel, validate how I want it, validate what I want for dinner. And our conversations aren't conversations, they're monologues, they're not dialogues. Good communicators go into a situation seeking understanding, seeking to give understanding and hopefully receive understanding. Paula and I have found ourselves at loggerheads on situations until one of us humbles ourselves and says, all right, we've got to approach this from a different angle. It's often the next day. We need to seek Unified understanding, it'll help with successful communication. When we choose to listen, if I choose to hear instead of being heard, that, that is so important because I am quite headstrong, but so is Paula. Yes, I'm louder, but we have, she gives as good as she gets. And the, the battle and the wrestle is real, and it's not until one of us is willing to yield and listen and understand that we can't work it through. All right, number four, speaking of being good givers, great sex, a better marriage. Can I tell you that there are five C's that make for great sex? I'm going to get them listed here. Let's talk through them. The first one is sex as the consummation or the covenant of marriage. Uh, it says when, when Isaac 
saw uh, Rebecca being brought to him, that literally Abraham's um, servant brought Rebecca to Isaac. It says she got off her camel and they went into the tent. There was no ceremony. They went into the tent. Um, it is actually through the sex that God designed the two to become one. This is why sex is so much more than, you know, like, like just a physical thing. It's literally how two become one. It wasn't back rubs. It wasn't joint bank accounts. It wasn't pieces of paper from the government. Nor was it even great communication. It was literally through the act of sex that the two become one. You are not one with someone until you have sex with them. And by having sex with them, you are continuing the consummation or the covenant nature of that relationship. This is why scripture is so clear that it is meant only for one person. Because I'm not designed to be in covenant relationship with lots of different people. I am designed to be in covenant relationship with two people in my life. God, as he died on the cross for my sins, and it was a new covenant. And my spouse, who I made covenant with. Because sex is about covenant, allow me just to say something that might hurt your ears, but I think I need to say this because we are in a very modern culture and some of these things... Some people just go, I don't, I don't know all the rules. And can I say this? Because sex is a covenant relationship, there are no third parties. One man, one woman. There are no other people. There is no pornography. Because you are literally bringing a, visual, a, a virtual person into your house. There is no role play of other people and there is no fantasy of other people because you start to give seed you start to give seed in the spirit in those things to division the moment that that happens beyond covenant is consensual sex must be consensual we both need to want to I'm not going to tell you what unconsensual sex is called, but you know the word. And I get asked about this all the time. And, and I'm just telling you right now, you both need to be keen. Otherwise, um, you could go to jail. And don't think just because you're married, you can do whatever you want to. But this is what I tell couples. If you're both keen, it's both consensual. It's not got an edge of manipulation on it and it's both consensual. Go for it. Go for it. All right, number three, communicate. Yes, it is good and healthy to talk about sex. It's good and healthy to not talk about sex and just go for it. <laughs> but can I tell you, you probably have no idea what you're doing, so you should probably talk about it. They will help you to know what you should be doing better. That is a very important part of sex. Find out what each other's needs are. In the beginning of our marriage, um, 
I was keen more than Paula was keen, and Paula felt the pressure of that. And somebody suggested to us that we talk about it, get our calendars out, and schedule it as an appointment in our diary. And we did. We did. Through good communication, a sore point in our marriage became a strong point in our marriage as we talked about it, we scheduled it, and basically, I knew that I didn't need to ask for it anymore because on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays, it was going to happen. It was in the calendar. <laughs> Paula knew that all the days of the week that weren't Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays, she was safe. Can I tell you that we only scheduled it for about a month or two before we got into a pretty good rhythm and it wasn't awkward anymore. But that was in the early days of our marriage because it, it can create a lot of problems, especially if you have trauma in that area. Too many statistics are suggesting that one in three have had a negative sexual experience going into their marriage. One in three. So, so can I tell you right now, that if you, as a couple, are standing next to another couple, and there's four people there, one of you has more than likely had a negative sexual experience. That's, that's, that's crazy. But it's true. Often we come into our marriages with broken sexuality. God meant to unite us to our spouse, but then it becomes a tremendous source of pain through sin and abuse and trauma. And I just believe that we can work through that. But it's okay to communicate about that so that you don't continue to make things worse. Here's the next one. I put contribute. What I really wanted to say was be a giver. Be a giver. If you go into your, your romance time thinking, what can I give? And she goes into the romance time thinking, what can I give? You're both going to be super happy. Give and it will be given unto you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over. For the same measure that you pour out will be poured out unto you and running over into your lap. I hope so. I, 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 can I tell you that that scripture is not an offering verse. That is a principle of God. If you take the mindset, I'm going to be a giver, but we don't think like that. We think taker. We even use it. The two guys are on the job site. And they say phrases like, oh, I got some last night. That's the language that guys use. Oh, did you get some? Oh, you went on a date with her? Did you get some? Boy, oh boy, isn't that, that that's such a, a foul way of thinking when it comes to the gift that God gave us. So I'm not going in thinking what I'm going to get out of you. I'm thinking what can I contribute or give. And then here's the last one. It needs to be cons a consistent. Even in your latter years, it needs to be consistent. Marriages that are not having regular sex are business partners that manage the finances, take care of the household, and raise the children. I'll be honest with you. Um, that sounds terrible. I don't think anybody wants that. 
if you're not having sex, it's not long until you're divorced. I'm just telling you right now. It, that, is, that is the end. Because it's through that act that is the consummating and the covenant relationship. Here's number five. We'll land this plane because some of us are feeling awkward. <laughs> number five, teamwork. Notice it says, I will make a comparable helper. Can I say, marriage is complicated. Whilst two becoming one sounds romantic, Tyler, let me tell you, it's traumatic. It's a lot less like the waltz and a lot more like a car crash. You got two personalities, two ways of thinking, two idiosyncrasies, two bank accounts, two love languages, multiple personalities, two different backgrounds all trying to become one. It's crazy. But this is what Paul says in Ephesians 5. In verse 21, he says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Then in verse 22, he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And later on, it tells me that I'm to love Paula like Christ loved the church when he died and gave himself up for her. But I wanted to, we submit one to another. We work as a team. When it comes to parenting, Paula has helped me a lot in my parenting. Because I probably would have brought some of the bad habits from my lineage into my parenting. But Paula, because we communicate, felt that she could speak to me about some of my parenting in the early days. And I have had to make radical adjustments in my parenting. Not once did I ever say, hey woman, I'm the head of this house, get in your place. We are co-laborers, we work together, teamwork. In the same way as I mentioned before, I don't earn all the money and give her a weekly allowance that she can go and spend. No, no. She has access to all the bank accounts, all the passwords on all the emails. We share everything because we work together as a team. Paula works. I work. We both raise the kids. I pick up the children. I make the dinner sometimes. I go to the grocery store. I clean the toilets. Well, actually, we don't. We now have a cleaner. <laughs> but there, there was a, we work together on everything. There is no, that's your job and that's your job. The money is not my job and the children her job. No, we are team on everything. Paula is my life partner. We are one, which means that we need to get really good at compromise. Because what do you do in your marriage when it's like you have a really strong way of doing things and they have a really strong way of doing things and you're like, ah, that's friction. This is where it's good to get some external wisdom and consultation. Paula and I have sought mentorship and consultation in our marriage a lot. One of the great reasons that we're so healthy in our marriage is because we've allowed others to speak into our, our marriage. Even the scheduling of sex came from a mentor that said, hey, I can see that that's a real frustration. What if you did it like this? Now, who wants to go and talk about their sex life and their sex frustrations with somebody else? That's a terrible idea. 
But when you can humble yourself and communicate effectively and, and you can work together better as a team. We had a financial coach that coached our finances for five years. We paid for them to coach us and show us how to do money better. Because we're a team. We did Growing God, uh, Kids God's Way as a, as a parenting course together. It was, oh, you go and learn how to parent the kids and just let me know what it says. I go to work, you do the kids. No, that's, that's, a, that's an old, archaic way of doing things. That's not how God designed it. All right, let's land. We need to believe to have thriving marriages. Jesus says, it's by your love for one another that they will know that we are his disciples. It's really quite hypocritical when we profess that we're Christians at work and then we profess, oh yeah, I'm getting a divorce or my marriage is lousy. I'm telling you, the world is looking at our lives trying to figure out if they want our brand of Christianity. Do I, do I want that brand? Do I, do I want that? He says he's a Christian, but he talks to We've been praying for Soban and Farnas. Soban is also known as Sam. He's in the hospital right now fighting. And Sam said to me, I said, Sam, he's Persian. He's from the country of Iran. And I said, Sam, how did you come to faith? And he said, well, I was a Muslim. But I met some Christians. And I said, wow, did they start preaching to you Jesus? And he said, no. I said, what was it? He goes, I saw their marriage. I saw the way that the husband treated the wife. And in, in, in Islam, oh my gosh, that is so different to Islam. And he said, I saw the way that they treated each other and they worked together. And I saw their marriage and I thought, whoa, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I'm interested. And ultimately, he gave his life to Jesus. And now he's an incredible man of God. And Soban and Farnaz are heroes. Of, I love them so much. Do you know that the world is looking at our marriage? The world is looking at our parenting. The world is looking at how we behave at work. The world is looking at how we treat people. The world is even looking at how we drive. Hopefully not too closely. I want to encourage you. We need to believe for, for thriving marriages. Self-love is critical. Repentance and forgiveness is essential. You cannot have a marriage without that. Communication great sex and teamwork. I'm telling you, we can all do better. We all need to keep raising the bar. Amen. Come on, would you stand to your feet? I want to pray over us. Because I know that even as I'm saying this, again, this is the ideal. This is the gold standard. This is the God standard. But we're aware that, that sometimes we fall short of those standards. Come on, just, just lift your hands for a moment. Lord, I'm reminded of that great verse in 2 Corinthians that says your grace is sufficient for us. Sometimes we read the word and we just go, God, I'm, I'm not that good. I'm not, I'm not strong enough. I'm not, I'm not smart enough. I'm, 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 a, I'm a mess. And I just believe that maybe you're here today and you're thinking about some of these things and you might be feeling this message might not make you feel very good. Can I tell you right now that his grace is sufficient for you? You might be feeling like, gee, I've been failing, I've been falling, I've been letting things down. 
I just speak the grace of God and the mercy of God to come around you. It says, in your weakness, his strength can be made perfect. And so I just speak right now humility and grace and mercy over every marriage. Maybe there's been friction. Maybe there's friction. Lord, I thank you right now that you give grace to the humble. And right now, even in our moment of humility, we ask you, God, to help us to forgive. Help us to love our spouse, God, the way that you love us. Jesus, right now as men, we declare that we need to love our wives the same way that you love us. Father, we repent for areas that are out of alignment, God. Maybe, maybe we've allowed things to get into our marriage, offenses. Maybe we've allowed sexual things. Maybe we've, al- we've brought things into our marriage. Right now, we, we silence the voice of the devil over our marriage. And we just speak the redeeming grace of God. Strengthening every marriage. Lord, I pray right now that dead marriages would come alive. I pray that bad marriages would become strong. I pray, God, that strong marriages would become great. That people would look at our lives and know that we have been changed by Jesus. We are not of the world. We don't chase the desires of the world. We chase God and we chase His highest for our lives. And so we invite you to show us how to be better husbands and be better wives. Lord, I'm aware that there might be people here this morning and and, and they're single and they're sitting there going, James, you, you, I, this is my desire. I deeply desire to be married. I wish that I had 20 years of fighting. God, I just speak right now that your grace is sufficient for all of us. Your grace is sufficient for all of us right now. I just speak, Lord, that according to your grace and according to your word and according to your provision, I ask you that you would... Lord, that you would start to fulfill some of the desires of our hearts. These desires are not bad desires. They're actually God desires. And I speak, Lord, that you are preparing, Lord, the men. And you're preparing our women. And you're you're readying them, God, for covenant relationship. And Lord, we ask you that you would call in the, the right man and the right woman at the right timing, God. We just continue to believe. Lord, for people who've gone through trauma. Maybe you're here and you're divorced. Maybe you're here and you've been through abuse or you've been through turmoil. Can I tell you right now, that's not God's heart for you. That is not a result of God. That is a result of the fall of humanity and sin. And right now I just speak healing. Maybe you're here and you're divorced and you feel like, gee, I've, I've been half of who I used to be. I, Or maybe just abuse and trauma and tragedy has just really gripped you. And I just speak right now that there is a new day. Your word says that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Right now I speak new mercy today. New mercy over every every person. Maybe maybe you've been you've been really hurt. I just speak right that God knows your pain. He was he was there with you in that moment and. And whilst it was a a, a result of sin and the fall, I just speak the redeeming grace of God right now to come and lift you up again. To heal you. To heal those wounds in your heart. To heal your mind of the memories. To release you from the trauma of the past. I just speak right now the overflowing grace of heaven. 
that when you feel weak and defeated, oh no, you can be strong and courageous for you have a God that is with you. He's redeeming you. He's restoring you. He is healing you this morning. And Lord, we just make a fresh commitment today to do things your way. Lord, I want to do things your way. You are my God. You are my Lord. And if you are the Lord, then I am not the Lord. And so I surrender and yield myself before you to do things your way. Come and have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us. We pray that you and your family are richly blessed by the love and grace of Jesus. If you're ever in the area, we would love for you to join us for Sunday worship. 